Thank you so much for showing up and hanging out with us. Uh, I'm going to share what's on my heart, and I hope that it blesses you, and I hope that it moves you. Um, I'm going to pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for the body of Christ. Jesus, I want to thank you so much for your presence that's in this room. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving our hearts. And Jesus, I ask that you come into this room, walk among us, convict our hearts, Lord God, so that we become more and more like you. Jesus, I humble myself, Lord, I pray that as I talk today, Lord, that people would not see me, the Lord, that they would see the love of Christ and see the urgency that you want your children back. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today I'm going to be talking about don't drop the baton. Um, so the main scripture I want to be talking about is Judges 2.10. It says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. And so the main point I want to focus on is if our current generation is not more intentional about passing on the legacy of Jesus to the next generation, which is Generation Z, and now they started all the way at the beginning. Now it's Generation Alpha, which is A, the church as we know it in America is going to die, okay? So I wanna talk a little bit about Victory Church. Um, there's a little bit of history. I didn't know about this, um, how long Victory Church has been here until I did a little research. So in September 1st, 1884, Auburn, Christ, Auburn Christian Church was born, 1884. So October 2nd, 1994, Pastor Mitch came in town and became pastor of what they call it ACC. That's kind of cool. What it, <laughs> you get it? <laughs> uh, and they didn't have a pastor during that time. And so and in August of 1995, Auburn Christian Church changed to Victory Fellowship to have more relevant, uh, a relevant name at that time. And then Victory Fellowship Church gave uh, the Garner Road Church back to the Auburn community with 10 people in the community to run that church. That was pretty cool. The pastor has such a giving heart. He literally gave the church back to the community, didn't accept any money for it. And then on August 15th, 1996, that was the first service in the shopping center in Garner, right where uh, Arby's is. And then October 27th in 2002 was the first service off of Aversboro Road in Garner. Some of you guys are veterans. Uh, and then 2009, Victory Fellowship Church updated its name to Victory Church to become more relevant. And then on September 1st, 2013, Victory Church moved to this current location. So we're 10 years old, a little bit over 10, 10 and a half years, almost, almost 11 years. That's pretty, that's just amazing. Uh, and then July 9th, 2023, this past year was the grand opening of Victory Academy. And guess what? It was for the next generation. And the victory, yes. I'm so glad to serve under a pastor that is always thinking ahead, always thinking of the next generation. So Victory Church has come a long way in 139 years. Isn't that amazing? Um, 
So why are churches thriving and why are churches dying? In 2023, 2020 and 2021, thousands and thousands of churches closed their doors all over America. And I'm so glad that our pastor was like, you know what, we're gonna keep our doors open. We closed them for a month, but I'm so proud of our pastor to say, you know what, I'm gonna preach the word because people need the word of God during this time. And I believe, honestly, if it wasn't for our church doors being open, well, I don't know if we'd be alive today. I don't know if Victory Church would even be here. But I'm so glad we, we serve under a pastor that, that, that listens to the Holy Spirit and holds to his convictions and had these doors open. So part of the reason is that they're closing is they, they, they fail to pass the baton onto the next generation. There's so many churches that are in England that are abandoned, they're, that have been uh, there since like the 1800s and now they're just abandoned. And who knows what has taken them over, but churches that learn how to pass the baton effectively, efficiently, and proficiently will thrive, grow, and their impact will spread not locally, but also globally. And most of all, generationally. So I'm so glad we, we can look around and we can see all ages in this room. So as we approach 2024, where do you want to see Victory Church? And why am I asking that? Because you're part of the body of Christ and you dictate where we go because you are an intricate part of this body of Christ. If you call yourself a believer in the name of Jesus, you are called to hold that baton and pass it on to the next generation. So two things can happen at Victory Church. Number one, we can die out, which is awful. And number two is we can thrive and we're called to multiply, right? So we're gonna talk about a generation that missed it, that completely missed it. So this was a generation without God. Let's go to Judges 2.10. It says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done in Israel. So there was judgment who, that actually came upon Israel. Let's go to verses 20 through 21. It says, the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unco unconquered when he died. So there was judgment on Israel for not passing on that legacy of Jesus. And so, or God, because Jesus hadn't come on the scene just yet. And so he said, you know what? You're gonna, you're gonna ignore me? I'm gonna ignore you. I'm gonna back up and let these nations conquer you because you have forgotten me. I'm gonna forget you. But he never abandoned them. He just, all right. You can, you can forget me. Let's just see how this works out. So Israel was judged not for passing the legacy of God to the next generation. An entire generation grew up not knowing God. How in the world did this happen? So we don't really know for sure because scripture is not really, uh, you know, it doesn't really give details of what actually happened, um, but we can speculate. They, I mean, you gotta think this generation saw probably the most amazing displays of God's power that any generation until Jesus came on the scene had ever seen before. I mean, you gotta think like these people saw physically God come down on the Mount Sinai in, 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 in a big 
pile of smoke and, and fire and all that stuff. And literally, it burned the top of the mountain. They physically saw waters part, and they walked through. Millions of, of Israelites walked through on dry land. They physically saw a rock in the middle of the desert open up and pour millions of gallons of water from, to feed a million people. What in the world happened? Why didn't they tell their generation, their next generation, their, their kids and their grandkids about this? So we're gonna talk about that today. It could be that the parents and grandparents failed to pass the stories of how they delivered from their enemies and how they entered the promised land by miraculous firsthand encounters with Jehovah. And, and this was in 40 years in the wilderness God proved himself to be trustworthy. It wasn't like he was a distant, it wasn't like he was a distant God. And it wasn't like he was, <sighs> this could happen without God's hand. No, there is no doubt that this, these things happen with God firsthand guiding them with a, was it, with, a, with a cloud by day and a fire by night. Manna coming down from heaven and feeding them. Quail just coming down from heaven and just feeding them. Like, they had personal encounters with Jehovah. So in Exodus 10, 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him and his officials stubborn so I can display my miraculous signs among them. I've also done it so that you can tell your children and grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and about the signs I displayed among them. So he literally did this so that he could, so that we could, so they could actually tell their children and grandchildren about his power. He literally did that so that he could display his power. So that he mocked the Egyptians. He mocked the enemy so that we, or so that the Israelites could tell their, the, the, the miraculous power of Jehovah. So God displays power for his people to see his mighty power. So why did that generation not pass it on. What went wrong in this handoff in the next generation? Could it have been complacency? Maybe uh, once they got into their nice, comfy promised land, they were like, you know what? God, we got what we wanted. <sighs> you was great and everything. You're displaying the power. That was really great. But you know what? We got what we wanted. And they got a little comfy. They got complacent and totally forgot about God. They become, yeah, ungrateful. Maybe once they, they got into that land, they're like, you know what? We don't really need you, God. You can just do your thing another time. How many of us have done that? We've prayed, like, God, I, I just, I'm praying for this job. I'm praying for, for this sickness to, to leave my body. But then once we got it, once we got into that promised land, thanks, God. You were great and everything. That power was amazing, but until next time, I'll see you again. <sighs> That's exactly what the Israelites did. My next statement is, we always remember God in the times of crisis, but we forget him when things go well. How often do we do that? And just like how Israel was judged by God for not passing on the stories and legacy of God to the next generation, could our nation, could we as Americans be in danger of judgment in our personal life for not doing the same? So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. How many of you guys know what's coming up next year? 2024. What is it? Olympics. Hey, look at there. I was like, I was, I was afraid somebody would say elections. And I was like, yeah, yeah. 
That's going to be kind of crazy. <laughs> but before that happens, we're going to have the Summer Olympics. I love the Summer Olympics. I don't know about you guys, but I was glued as a kid to the TV when I went in gymnastics. But I would say the most, uh, I, the things I, I really enjoyed the most was the, the, the relays, the races, because they were so intense. And I would say the most of, the, the one I enjoyed the most is the 4 by 100 And so the 4 by 100 actually in, in, entails the four fastest people on the planet, okay? Work with me here. So you got four fast racers, fastest racers on the planet. They're running around and... Once they come around, they hand off the baton to the next fast runner in this, it's called an exchange zone. It's 20 meters long. And in that exchange zone, they get a head start and they, they, they reach, the, the runner reaches back to grab the, the baton and then they run around and so on until they get to the fourth one. So um, historically, the U.S. has dominated this event in the past, I would say forever until 2000. So historically, especially in the women's division. So we're gonna be talking about that. So the story starts out in 2000, year 2000 uh, in Sydney, Australia. The US actually settled for bronze in one of the exchanges that were, there was like a, if you, I saw the videotape this past week and there was just a, an exchange, there was a slight bobble. There wasn't you know, anything major, just a slight bobble in the handoff that literally caused them to go into third place and two other nations went ahead of them. And so that bobble allowed two other countries to take the lead and Jamaica won over the US and got silver by seven one hundredths of a second. That's pretty fast. And then Bahama won gold. So, and then, so that kind of stink. You know, at least they were on the board. They got third place. But in 2004 in Greece, the U.S. was expected to win again. They had the fastest, you know, times and everything and qualifications. So in that exchange, somehow she couldn't get it into, let's see, Lauren Williams. No, Marion Jones couldn't get it into uh, Lauren Williams. You guys remember those? Back in the day, they were like celebrities. So there was like a, a, something went wrong in, in the exchange and they actually ran out of the exchange zone and were absolutely disqualified. So this was the first time that this has, had happened that the U.S. was not even on the stand. The first time in 30 years. So in, in 2008 in Beijing, China, in the semifinals, the U.S. was in the lead. On the final handoff, the baton was absolutely dropped, completely dropped. So not only did the U.S. not get into the medal stand, he, they didn't even make it to the finals. Why? It's because they dropped the baton. And just because the U.S. was probably the most decorated nation on the planet, probably had the most technology to train their, their athletes, and they were expected to win, they didn't. And they did not walk away with a medal. So what's the lesson that we can learn from 2000, 2004, and 2008? How important it is to successfully pass the baton from one runner to the next runner in order to win the race. This, listen, my next point is this is a lesson we need to learn when we examine the judges to 10 generation. If we are not intentional about passing the baton of Jesus onto the next generation, we and our children could see a generation without God. I don't know if you've been looking around on the news and just looking in our nation lately. God is no, I mean, God is far to be found. 
Ten Commandments have been taken out of public schools. Trash has been sub, you know, substituted as education. God is being removed from our colleges. So I kind of wonder how many times that those runners and those coaches looked at those videotapes in slow motion, like what exactly happened wrong in that handoff? That this, you know, like, in, but see, we don't really have that advantage to look in the Judges 2 gen, gen, generation. And so we can speculate, but we don't know exactly what went wrong in the exchange from the Israelites to that next generation. So God, warned, God actually warns us, or warned the, the Israelites before they moved into the promised land. Let's go to Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10. It says, but watch out, be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood up before the Lord, your God, at Mount Sinai, where he told me, summon the people before me and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live and they will teach their children to fear me. I think we live in a generation where we have lost our sense of the fear of the Lord in our lives, in our daily lives. If we really knew who we were hurting, we wouldn't do it. In general, in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 12. I'm gonna skip around. I'm not gonna read the whole thing because we don't have a lot of time. So these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Let's skip on down to verse six. And it says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Number seven is repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. When you are going to bed and when you are getting up, tie them around your, your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Skip down to 12. It says, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Amen. So God was saying, hey, I know you're going to face this temptation to forget about me. Make sure that you tell your grandchildren. Make sure that you don't forget about me. Repeat them again and again and again and again until your kids get sick of it. Tie them around your head. Make sure that your my word is right before you at all times so that you don't forget. And sometimes we forget that we were in slavery. We forget what God has brought us out of. We forget Egypt. And so we become laxadasive. We depend on ourselves a little bit too much. And we hold God at arm's length and says, you know what, God, I got this right now. But until I need you again, like I'll call on you, but it's, it's probably gonna be some kind of tragedy and stuff. God says, no, I wanna be interwoven in, in the culture of your daily life. So three things that God wanted in this exchange. Number one, God wanted to be intimately woven into the fabric and culture of their daily lives. And number two, God wanted his laws and all of his ways to constantly be in front of them so that they would not forget his ways. Number three, when they entered into the promised land, he did not want the Israelites to forget him. 
So how are we as a church and as Americans, as parents and as individuals doing in this area, in our homes, in our daily lives and in our culture? Is God the centerpiece of our lives? Is God the focus of our, of our home? Is God even mentioned, is the topic of prayer, is the topic of worshiping God even mentioned in our homes on a regular basis? I mean, yesterday, we, me and uh, Avalyn and Lindy, a couple of our neighbors were outside and I had my Bluetooth speaker out and I mean, I was just sitting there listening to worship. People, strangers coming down, the, down the, the sidewalk, they're gonna be hearing praise in my house. I got this big old sign that says, thank you, Jesus. So if you are anywhere near my house, you're gonna hear the praises of God. Not all the time, you know, I like the other music too, but I'm telling you, there's certain things that like, I'm, I'm gonna make sure that God is known in my house. And whenever you experience the Pedans, hopefully you'll be experiencing Jesus, okay? So uh, when Avalyn was in the womb, um, we went to have a 3D, uh, was it 3D? No, 4D ultrasound. Man, it's pretty amazing. You get to like see your baby in 3D. It's, it's pretty cool. So as we were looking at Avalyn, I had previously, like I would sing to her worship music. I would sing to her, I'd beatbox. If you guys know, I like, I like music and the staff knows I am very noisy. I'm always doing this. I'm a drummer. I like music a lot. I'm like, I'm just always doing something. And Anne loves my music. She gets on to me during staff meetings. Cameron, you're doing it again. Stop it. I don't even realize I'm doing it, but it's because I'm passionate about it. Okay. So yeah, it just comes out. And so as we were looking at my, my beautiful baby girl, Lindy was like, Hey, beatbox to her. I was like, Oh, okay. So I got up close and I was like, and then all of a sudden, Avalyn is in there. She goes, like she recognized her daddy. I was like, and the, the, the person who was doing the sonogram, she busted out loud. She's like, I have never seen that happen in all the years I've ever done it. And it was really, it was really funny. And so I was thinking about that whenever I was writing the sermon, I was like, you know what? What if... I was so passionate about music and about beatboxing, about drumming and, and any of my hobbies that I passed only that to my beautiful baby girl. Or my, I love Wolfpack. So whenever you go around my, my daughter, if you ask her what team, she will just throw up the hands and say, Wolfpack, because my daddy likes Wolfpack. And so, but some of us, we are so obsessed with our hobbies, our professional baseball, basketball, football teams. And we are obsessed with even just watching them, maybe skipping around, not even attending church and not even acknowledging God in our daily lives. And we're wanting to pass that legacy of our favorite hobby toward the next generation, but God is nowhere near that. What will happen if we do that? That generation will not no God. It's passing, see, it's passing on the love of your favorite hobby or college pro ball team, a higher priority than passing Jesus on to your children or your grandchildren. Are the things you and your family living for gonna last for eternity? Okay? 
So let's, let's go on to the next subject. What's that something else, quote unquote? So in Judges 2.10, it's very obvious that there was something else that took higher priority than passing on their love for God and the next generation. Could it have been the distraction of the world at that time, crowding out their memories and, and encounters with Jehovah personally? I don't know how that happens. That just blows my mind. Could it have been the daily grind of just trying to survive and not making room for God in their daily lives? And some of us, we do that. We just get, you know, we're in the grind. We're working every day, just trying to survive, trying to make that money. And God is there, but he's on the back burner. Our job, our hobbies, what we gotta get done that day is at the forefront of our thoughts, but God is back here. And I'll fit some time in there maybe this afternoon or tonight. If it doesn't, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe tomorrow. Maybe, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll spend time before service. Or actually, you know what, I'm gonna use service on Sunday and Wednesday to spend time with God. God's like, nope, I want every day, okay? Or what maybe the older generation of the Israelites were afraid that if they imparted their lifestyle of serving God to the younger generation, the next generation would mess it all up. My way of worshiping God is gonna, it, it is called perfectionism. And I would say sometimes it's called spiritual pride. You know what? My way of God, worshiping God is the only way to worship God. You know what? This generation, teenagers, they're, they're worshiping God in, in a different way, in a different, different level. And it's totally fine. They're jumping around. I mean, I'll tell you what, they bring energy up here when they, when they worship. Where are we at? You know? Or maybe their experiences with God, talking about the older, older generation with God, were their experiences with God and not the next generation. That turns into selfishness. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm the generation that experienced God, Jehovah, from the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> I love Bo. He adds so much to my sermons. And they held tight to their traditions. Maybe it was their relationship with God and they were too proud to give it to the next generation. I mean, there's no telling what happened. So I, I, wanna, I wanna say that young people are the future of this church and the future of Christianity. And it's paramount that we invest in the culture of who Jesus is into their lives. Let's talk about some alarming stats that I came across. Only 28% of Gen Z Americans say that they are committed to attending church once a month. 14% identify as atheist or agnostic, according to the recent poll that suggests the younger generation is much more likely to identify as LGBTQZ, whatever. What is this generation looking for in a church? I think they're looking for community. I think they're looking for security. I think they're looking for compassion and authenticity. I mean, they're quick to, whenever there's an outreach or whenever there's something to do around this generation, I would say 20s and up, man, they are all about some outreaches. They're all about, hey, what, what am I needed? It's not about the lights. It's not about the smoke. It's not about, I'd say about 10 to 15 years ago, that was at the height. I would say the, the seeker-friendly church. But now I feel like, this generation is looking for an authentic encounter with Jehovah. They're not looking for these lights. They're like, man, how can I access this God? I, I'm, and I'm telling you, if we're not presenting it in front of them, they're not gonna take hold, they're gonna die without it. 
So my hope is that Victory Church thrives until Jesus returns. But if we drop the baton and fail to pass it to the next generation, even Victory Church could die out. So how can we avoid this crisis? Number one is I want you to include young people into your life. Teenagers, you don't get out of this. I want you to invest in your brothers and your sisters and the Victory Kids until, you know, they, they need Jesus just as much as you do. So nobody's off the hook in here. We all need to be investing into the next generation. I would say even, even peers at our work, I'm telling you, if you influence somebody at work, that will be passed on to their generation and their legacy. And just as Mira was saying, maybe this, uh, this baton has never been passed on to you. Guess what? Today, I'm passing it on to you now. You have no excuse. You have the baton. What are you gonna be doing with this? Are you gonna hold on to it? Are you gonna drop it? Are you gonna fumble with it? Guess what? God's, God's, God's gracious. God sees us. But we have to determine in our heart that we're gonna take the word of God. We're gonna take our experiences from God or we're gonna experience God for the first time, maybe today, and say, you know what? The church is not gonna die out if I have anything to do with it. Amen? <clears throat> Start talking to the younger generation in church. You don't have to like, you know, take, you know, it'd be great if you take them out to eat, if you kind of spend some time with them. High five, I'm telling you like the best person that I know that does this really, really well is Bo Durham. How many of you guys ever, I mean, I see this guy holding infants in the nursery. And then right after that, he's high-fiving some six and seven-year-olds. And then he makes his way in here and hugs a teenager. And then he hugs me. And then he'll hug every generation I see him touch. And I, I'm, I'm motivated by you, man. Like, that's, that's what we, we need a lot of bows in here. Amen? If you're online, amen, give it up for Bo. <laughs> He's definitely a mentor of mine. So uh, if you're online attending church and that's your only way of participating in church, I challenge you to come and physically be a part of a local church, okay? You're not gonna pass on a legacy by sitting in front of the TV or sitting in front of the monitor and talking about, you gotta experience God with other people. That's, this is what we're made to do. I need you, you need me, we need each other. All right, number three is, Number four, parents, let God be the centerpiece of your home and raise your children to love God and, and to put him first in their daily lives. If you're not putting God first in your daily life, they're not. And I'm telling you, they're always watching, always watching and to the point where it's annoying. <sighs> Can't get away with nothing. My little girl, she keeps, she's the Holy Spirit all the time. Just this past, I'm gonna say, these past two weeks, y'all know what I'm getting ready to say. My family knows exactly what I'm gonna say. I tend to say the S word a lot. You're like, what? <laughs> and my daughter will tell people that I say the S word. I'm like, baby, you can't say that. I say stupid every once in a while. I call things stupid. And I was like, baby, you don't understand what that means. I, that People think I'm saying a really, really, but she's like, but if you're calling God's creation stupid, isn't that, a sin? Would Jesus be doing that? I was like, yes. So they're always listening. And what you do, they're tempted to kind of replicate. But also, if you trained them right, they will convict you. 
And they'll be like, Dad, you don't need. She always says, Dad, you're doing it again. And I'll say dumb or stupid. That's a dumb decision. That's kind of, you know, that's okay to say you're making a dumb decision. She's like, nope. You you need to start speaking life into their life and saying they're going to be making smart decisions. I was like, yes. And she'll yell it in my ear. Like yesterday, she yelled it, like pierced my ear. It's like, Dad, you're doing it again. I was like, you know what? I appreciate your zeal, but you're getting on my last nerve with with this. So anyways, number five, (laughs) make attending church a regular routine in your week. Not just once a month, not just Christmas and Easter, not just showing up to check it off of your list of spiritual things you need to do. Make it a routine. I'm so glad that my parents grew up. I went to church Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. When they had revival, I was there all weeks. Even sometimes I would hope that they would forget on Sunday night, I'd be right in the middle of my show and they're like, all right, get ready for church. And even though like I didn't want to go at that time, now I'm in a habit. I, ha- I feel so weird if I'm not at church. On a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, I feel so out of place because I'm in a habit of, of being a part of the body of Christ. So if you're not attending church on a regular basis, I challenge you to start attending church every single week that you can, okay? Amen? All right, I'm feeling a little, I don't never shout, but I'm shouting today, y'all. All right, so in Joshua, Josh McDowell's book, it says the last Christian generation, he says the majority of our young people lack a relationship with spiritual mentors who are models of Christ's likeness. And these youth are building their faith and lives on a false foundation, a distorted view of who Christ is, why he came to earth and what the Bible and truth are really are. We need to help our young people rebuild their faith and relationships with spiritual mentors from the ground up based on the true foundation of Christ. And it starts with us. Let's talk about atheism and agnosticism in America. Leah, I don't know how you say this, Barkukas, that's a, I, I, hopefully I said that right, said in her article, Atheism on the Rise in America, while we are still living in predominantly Christian nation, According to a new Pew Research study, an increasing number of Americans now fall into the category of nuns. I never heard about this until I saw this. People who describe themselves as atheists slash agnostics or do not identify with a particular faith. So from 2007 to 2014, the two-year Pew conducted this large-scale study on Americans' religious life. The number of nuns jumped from 16% to nearly 30 Twenty-three percent, seventy percent of Americans identify as Christians back in 2014, but this number has declined in 2020. The number of people considering themselves as Christians is now down to sixty-four percent, from seventy percent just a decade before. Currently, the nuns has climbed from twenty-three percent to thirty percent, just in ten years. That's that's alarming. That should scare the snot out of us. Do you know the, who the majority of these? Nuns are young adults, 20 to 30 years old. Could we be heading to a, ju- a Judges 2.10 generation if we're not careful? And I, I wanna tell you how me and Lindy, we don't do it perfect. As you can say, like there's certain things I say, I, I have to repent daily to my family if I lose my cool. But I wanna say that like 
Jesus, I believe, like we, we try to gear everything around Jesus. If, you know, Evelyn comes to me with, with a headache or, or something that she's going on with school, she's struggling or something like that, I say, all right, first thing, let's take it to Jesus. Let's lay it at his feet. We have a habit of, I, I, I say, all right, lay your hands on yourself. I'll lay my hands on. I want you to pray over your headache that it go away. Let's take it to Jesus. It's just a natural I wouldn't say it's a natural thing for us to take it. We have daily devotions. We, we pray. Your kids, other people need to hear you pray. I would say your kids need to hear you pray over them. If you're not doing that on a regular basis, hey, you need to start today. Because I'm telling you, just by praying over them, first of all, I mean, you're working in the spiritual realm, but also they're seeing you and you're modeling what Christ is supposed to be doing to us. And it, it, it may seem little right now, but if you start doing it on a daily basis, they're gonna be like, man, dad, man, this is a habit. Dad, mom, I, I, I gotta incorporate this in my family. You know what? I, I need to start going to church. When they get in the 20s, my parents, man, they, I've seen so many young people that maybe have a rebellious uh, time in their lives at 18 to 20, but they start coming back at 25 to 30. It's because those seeds have been planted at a young age and because their parents are still in church. They may not go to their church, but they're, going, they're coming back to God because those seeds have been planted. So I'm just telling you, if you have a lost daughter or a lost son, those seeds are not worth it. They, they're they're going to be coming back to Jesus. I'm just going to say that in Jesus' name. So make sure that you model. And, and it's, no, it's, it's never too late to do it. It's never too late to start it, okay? And you may not be perfect. And whenever you're not perfect, go to your daughter, go to your son, say, daddy messed it up, mommy messed it up. I've had to do that plenty of times to Abe You know what, I, should, I, I shouldn't have said what I said, I'm really sorry. And once they see that repent of heart in you, and then you say, hey, you know what, I've already taken it to God and me and him have already worked it out. They're gonna take their problems to the Lord whenever they mess up. So I'm just telling you, it's the little things, but they're gonna amount to some, some amazing things growing in the future, okay? Um, God has selected you to be the runner in this race, whether you realize it or not, no matter how young or how old. Anyone who has been given, has given their life to Jesus and is a follower of him has been, has been selected by him to run the race and to pass the baton to the next generation. The question is, which is my next point, will you accept it? Will you run with it? And will you pass it on? Or will you let it fall? The choice is yours. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, it says, don't you realize that this race Everyone runs. Everyone runs this. But only the one, only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But when we do it, it's, it's for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training Training it will do what, I, what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, my, I myself might be disqualified. So you are sitting in Victory Church. And if you're watching online, you're, you're seeing a church and the fruit of runners in the past passing on that baton to the next generation. And I hope in 100 years, 200 years, and 300 years, whenever Christ decides to come back, the Victory Church and the church in America will be thriving from generation to generation. So I wanna say personal testimony. I wouldn't be who I am today without the legacy of my parents investing Jesus into my life. 
And also mentors of mine, like, you know, my youth pastor, Micah Corona, he's a, you know, senior pastor at uh, a church in Wake Forest now. He was paramount to my relationship with Jesus during some really rough times of my life. And then I started coming to Victory Church and Pastor Mitch was a dad to me whenever I, my dad passed away. And he has been there through thick and thin. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for those two people in my life and my parents, passing on that, that baton to my life, I would not be the person I am today. And Lindy is a product of her grandmother. Pass, I mean, she got saved. I mean, she did some crazy stuff, y'all. And she got saved at a later, in her 30s. And she determined in her heart that Lindy was gonna be in church every day, every, every Sunday and every Wednesday. And through that, her parents became saved. And now her parents are living that legacy and passing it on to, to her. And then now they're passing it on to my child. So I'm telling you, you're never too old, you're never too young to pass that baton on to that next generation. Amen? Um, so my last points I wanna say is how can you start passing the baton on today? I got five things. Number one is true repentance from not honoring God in our lives, public or private, and in our homes. It, there needs to be a true repentance. All of us have messed up in that area. I mean, even... When I was writing this, um, God convicted me. He says, you use your tablet and your, 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 your cell phone way too much instead of opening your Bible. And so now I'm making sure that I like to hear the word of God. So I, I, have, it, I have it, you know, uh, the you version reading the Bible, but I'm actually opening the Bible because I want my daughter to see me opening the Bible and reading his word, not just on my phone or on my tablet because it can be mistaken as I'm on Facebook or I'm on Instagram. So I want, I'm doing this for two purposes. Also, I'm doing it for me, but also so that my daughter can see me intimately spending time with the father. So number two, serve in victory kids. If God has called you to serve in victory, the younger generation, God's been convicting your heart to start serving in any way capacity, start today. Start talking to Pastor, Pastor Rocky and Ashley. Start serving on Sunday mornings or Wednesdays. Okay, I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference. Uh, a couple of, I'll say about five years ago, I was in downtown Raleigh eating at a, com, uh, a, a restaurant and I saw this guy, his name's Chris. This dude was, he's, he's a mess right now. And he was a security guard for a club. And I walked out and said, Chris, what's going on, man? And he's this big old brawly guy. And he's like, and he starts like tearing up because he saw me and he says, I remember your dad. I remember how his impact in my life he was an artist, he drew these illustrations, but as he was teaching the kids, he, he presented the gospel and he taught through his, through his drawing. He says, I've never forgotten your dad and what he had in my life, his impact in my life. So I'm telling you, if you're working in the kids ministry, these kids will not forget about you. And the seeds that you're planting on this inside of these, these kids' hearts, they will remember. And this guy's he's probably in his 50s right now. And it, just, it, it, and it was just so amazing seeing, when Lindy saw it, I was like, Wow, I never thought that this person would ever remember my dad. Okay, and number three, serving victory youth, teenagers. If teenagers are on your heart, you feel called to, you know, to, to you know, start mentoring, disciple, uh, you know, teenagers, come see me and start investing in, in of course, you gotta go through a process and everything. But, uh, and then number four, incorporate young people in your life somehow on a regular basis. High five them on the way out. Give them a hug. Well, you might want to introduce yourself first. <laughs> hey, come here, give me a hug. You know, but build a relationship. Maybe I got freaked out, you know. Um, 
There's a desperate need for this, this seasoned generation to mentor and teach the younger generation. And I got one more thing to, to, to let you guys know about parents. Build a culture of serving and loving Jesus in your home. Let your children know that God is the center of your life, your home, and also the church. Let them see you reading your Bible and have a lonely time with him. Not just for show, but also like really connect with him. When, when you have a lonely time with him, connect with him. But let your, you know, let your kids see that. And let them hear you pray over them every day. Every day. Because I'm telling you, that's, it's paramount that they see you pray and they see you reading the word of God on a, on a daily basis.